Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) How's it going? I hope well. I hope you've had a good weekend so far. Um, I have to say that I am still thinking about Dr. Brandy Simula's interview, which um, was released last week. It's still with me. I'm still thinking a whole lot about pandemic burnout. And I'm realizing it's everywhere. It's family, it's friends, it's clients, it's colleagues. And then we've got these unhealthy cultural messages, right? Like, the pandemic's almost over. Um, You know, go ahead and do all the stuff again. I I mean, I know that's how I've felt. But it's not over. (laughs) And it seems to never be over. Every time you feel a little freer, um, something new happens. Or you're reminded in some way that this thing is not over. And then that combined with sort of our cultural belief that we should be, you know, working and uh, accomplishing and achieving and all of that is just feels like it's really a recipe for disaster. But, you know, talking about it helped. And, you know, when I talk to Brandy, that conversation sits with me and it continues to sit with me. And honestly, it reminds me that I'm not alone, which is a huge piece of self-compassion, right? Reminding yourself that you are never alone. You are never the only one suffering, ever. So yeah, Brandy's message is still sitting with me. And that's something I actually brought up in today's interview with Dr. Emily Crookston, who I will introduce you to in just a minute. She's a ghostwriter and she connects with her clients deeply and she talks about how she adopts sort of their way of speaking so that she can write books for them that that fit. Anyway, I was really sort of astonished by Emily's story. Um, I have never talked to a ghostwriter on the podcast before and the work just sounds incredibly creative. And her interest in self-awareness and being present and paving a sort of career path of freedom and trusting the entrepreneurial path, all of those sort of puzzle pieces that are all sort of so meaningful on their own fit together so beautifully to create this overall career that seems to be And I could actually hear it in Emily's voice and and in the way she talked about her job and her path and her understanding of career. Emily's story is just so uplifting and so inspirational and yet also really honest about the challenges of her work and the challenges of her life in academia. So anyway, the conversation we had was so fun and so interesting and so inspirational. I know you'll enjoy it. Here she is now. Yay! Thank you for joining us today. I'm talking to Dr. Emily Crookston, 
owner and decider of all things <laughs> at the Pocket PhD. Emily, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, Danielle. I'm excited to be here. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh, me too, because I see your LinkedIn posts and I'm always like, this is a wise, wise woman. And oh. so I'm super excited to talk about that. Um, um, all the, all the sort of wisdom that you have to impart. Um, so we will, I mean, earlier before the recording, we were talking a little bit about all the places you were living. You were living in Michigan and St. Louis and Boston and all sorts of places. Um, and you were talking about how, um, you had to go where the jobs took you, um, as an academic. And um, when you decided to leave academia, you were just kind of like, you know, I think I'm going to go back to uh, Chapel Hill because that was a fun place to live. <laughs> and you just went um, and you had that kind of freedom. <laughs> and uh, I think this that kind of um, characterizes the sort of life you seem to have now, this very free life in a lot of ways compared to your academic job. Mm -hmm. So does that sound um, right to how, I mean, tell me where I'm wrong when I say all of that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Great question. Um, yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've gained through starting a business, leaving academia, starting a business is the ability to, I mean, it, my time is mine. And mm -hmm. I can I can choose where I want to live and I can choose how I want to spend my days for the most part. And that doesn't mean I'm not working a good 40, sometimes 60 hours a week, because, you know, when you're in build your business mode, that's that's what's happening. Um, but I, it's nice to know that I'm in control of everything. I can set things up in the way that I want to. And it might take time to get there and figure out the systems that I need and who I need to hire or whatever. Um, but knowing that, that there, there is that, like, there's no ceiling. And when I was an academic, um, and I can tell you my story there, um, yeah. I, I just felt the ceiling was closing in on me, like most of the time. Um, so yeah, you're right. I, I grew up in Michigan. I uh, went to a small school in Michigan for my undergrad, majored in philosophy, decided to go to grad school got into Boston College, and one of my professors said, great, you go to Boston College when you get into Boston College. And I was like, okay. And <laughs> that was for a master's degree. It was, you know, $40,000 out of my pocket. Um, so, you know, looking back, I may not have made that choice, you know, from, from the standpoint where I am today, you know, somebody <laughs> said, this is prestigious. And I said, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, so I went. Uh, then for my PhD program, I ended up at Washington, uh, university in St. Louis, uh, loved living in St. Louis, uh, was there for six years or so. Um, and one of the challenges, I don't need to go into too much inside baseball with philosophy, but there's basically two camps um, in philosophy. And so my Boston College is in one camp and most of the rest of <laughs> the academic departments and the philosophy departments in the rest of the country are in a whole nother camp. So, you know, there was like this disconnect in my uh, CV <laughs> that, that people were seeing. So I think one, one of my challenges going on the job market was just that. And, you know, there are so there's so much about the job market you don't understand 
and how your choices from when you were, you know, 20 um, mm. affect your future in the, in the department, you know, in the profession uh, that I think, you know, that's some of the stuff that I was run, running up against. Um, but I got a, you know, I got a job at UNC right out of, that was my first job after I got my PhD, a great school, you know, as a temporary position, a one-year position. Um, but it was renewable and it seemed like a good jumping off point. Um, so I had that job. I got, I, re, I was renewed for a second year. Um, and then I, I ended up not getting a job the third year I was on the market. So I went back to Wash U. They gave me a teaching position. Um, and then, then I got a job at, in Myrtle Beach at uh, Coastal Carolina University. And that was a three-year position. So I felt like I was moving up. You know, <laughs> I was going to be there for three years, uh, you know, visiting assistant professor. Um, and then they, they said, you know, we'll have a tenure-track job in three years and you'll be in good, good you know, line to get it. You know, you'll be in a good position. Um, and, of course, so that may, meant I was on a three-year job interview, <laughs> uh, which is stressful in and of itself, um, but also at a place like that where there are a lot of visiting people, a lot of people on temporary, you know, one-year positions, everybody is vying for any tenure-track job that comes up. So you're not, you, it's not true you're in line, you're competing with all of your colleagues and the rest mm -hmm. of the people applying to the job from outside. Um, so it became, you know, this, this big bigger challenge than I was really hoping for. Um, and yeah, some politics happened and they didn't end up hiring anyone to fill that tenure track position. Um, Not shocking at all. Okay. Yeah, I think it happens mm -hmm. a lot. And so as a result, you know, my choice was no job or take a pay cut and an increase in my teaching, <laughs> teaching load, um, mm. because that was, you know, what they had to offer me after that. Uh, so yeah. I did that for a year. Uh, big blow to my ego, swallowing my pride. You know, <laughs> I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I was like, this is this is it. You know, I'm I'm done. This is my I, I'm giving myself this year to figure out what the next move is because I'm out. Um, and so that's what I did. A friend of a friend was looking for marketing help. I started uh, writing a blog for her, and she had a company, a web development company. So she had clients who needed blog posts. So I started writing uh, ghost ghost blogging essentially. Um, and, you know, that I realized that I had a talent for it, that I liked doing it. And at some point she said, you could start a business. And I said, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll do. Um, yeah, and, and it's funny looking back because that makes it seem like, oh, it wasn't even my idea. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when it's like that moment when someone says something to you and you're like, yeah, that's the thing. You know, that's that, that solves a lot of my problems. I don't know how I'm going to do nine to five. I don't want a nine to five job. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and also my dad owned a small business. So it's like not foreign to me, uh, you know, the business owner life. Um, so that made it you know a lot easier than I think, you know, some people coming out of academia and going into the business world have, you know, some mindset issues that I didn't have. Um, yeah. You know, what I find really interesting is that you said in the podcast notes, um, you know, entre it turns out entrepreneurship was in my blood mm -hmm. um, and I'd never even thought about it. I never even mm -hmm. thought about doing it up until, yeah. you know, it was brought to my attention. Um, and uh, what do you make of that? <laughs> like, I find that really interesting that it never it is. struck you when your dad was yeah. doing that. 
Well, it's so interesting because like my dad didn't go to college. And so like growing up, it was always this thing, like you're all going to college. I'm the oldest of five, mm -hmm. but you know, okay. so all my siblings, like you're going to college. Like there's no question, you know, this is, this is the path to a better life kind of a thing. Um, so there was like that implanted in my head, like my path is, has not been easy and I want you to do something easier. And I think I latched on really hard to the academic life as secure and like, uh, you know, you get into tenure track, a tenure track position and then you get tenure. No question. Of course there's questions, but in my head, it's like <laughs> you get this job and then you get tenure and then you're set for life. Like what, you know, <laughs> what mm -hmm. else do you need? You know, you're making a decent wage for the rest of your life and all you're doing is teaching all you're doing. All you're doing is <laughs> your job, you know? Um, and, and that was really appealing to me. So I think, and also, um, I watched my dad build his business. Like I was eight years old before he started his business. So I was watching all of that. And those first few years, man, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. If you can mm -hmm. make it through those first three years, it, it, you know, things turn around if you're, you know, paying attention and doing, doing things that, you know, you need to do. Um, but yeah, so I, I saw that struggle, you know, I saw my dad borrowing money from my grandma and I saw him, um, you know, bouncing checks and, and stressing a lot about money. Um, and so that that part of it, I, I'm sure that's why, at least subconsciously, I was like, oh, no, that's not what I wanted uh -huh. to do. Um, but I think once I the, the thing is that getting a Ph.D., it made me in, in going through like being, I was on the market for eight years or something. Like, I think just going through all of that sort of built some resilience into me where I was like, you know, it can't, it can't be worse. <laughs> whatever, oh, whatever happens, like mm -hmm. going in a totally different direction. It, it's going to be different at least. Right. And I can't see how it can be worse than how I'm mm -hmm. feeling right now where I worked so hard and you guys, you know, I felt like the rug was pulled out from me, you know, in that moment. And, uh, you know, it just, um, it really, really stung. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm just not cut out for this. Tell us what it is you're doing. Why are people coming to you? Um, how, yeah, how are you bringing in an income? Yeah. So I started out doing the ghost blogging, quickly realized if I want to make a living blogging, just blogging, that's going to be like 10 blogs a week. And that sounds okay. like too much. <laughs> that sounded uh -huh. overwhelming. Um, so I started saying, well, I could do longer projects. And at some point, someone called me a ghostwriter. And I was like, yeah, that's what I am. I'm a ghostwriter. And so I said, I could start writing books for people. Um, and so that's what has been like 80% of my business in the past like two years or so. I've been in business five years, just had my five-year okay. anniversary in May. Um so I write nonfiction books, uh, personal development and business development for the most part. Um, I wrote a book with a neuropsychologist who works with kids. Um, and so it's a parenting book about how to raise a happy brain. Um, that was my most recent project. Super fun. Um, I love to get into a subject, learn enough about it to write a whole book, and then in four months be like, thanks. And, you know, <laughs> go publish your book and have, you know, <laughs> make lots of money. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> so that's what I do. So I could do like two or three, you know, if everything goes perfectly, like three projects a year. 
Um, and so that's been great, but I also, I've been doing this LinkedIn experiment for the past year or so, and I figured out some stuff on LinkedIn. So I was getting all of my ghostwriting prospects through referrals for the most part before I started using LinkedIn. And then now all my clients basically come through LinkedIn, all my leads. Um, so I figured some things out and I was like, oh, well I could, create some services around LinkedIn, because I think there's a lot of people out there like me who could be using LinkedIn to, to gather leads and to network with people. And they're, you're not, they're not utilizing it, you know, to their advantage as much as they can. There's something like 700 million users on LinkedIn and only like 1% post content. Um, So it's a huge, wow, right. Huge opportunity. Yeah. Huge opportunity in social media. Like it is the best social media platform for business right now. There's hands down. Like you could play with Instagram all you want, but (laughs) LinkedIn is because people are there doing work. You know, they're more intentional. Um, It's yeah, it's amazing. So once I realized that I was like, okay, I'm going to create some services. So now I have a LinkedIn roadmap, which is like an audit of your LinkedIn page. I have a LinkedIn, the LinkedIn audit plus will create three months of LinkedIn content for you. Um, and oh, then I okay. have ghost blogging plus LinkedIn content for a monthly, monthly uh, package. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, in my mind, this feels like a lot, um, a lot of work, a lot <laughs> of, you know, I have to dig into um all of this sort of research in this area and really become expert Mm -hmm. in some ways so that Mm -hmm. I can write this book or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So you tell me, how are you navigating that? Um, How do you, how do you balance it? How do you get deep into something, but not let it take over your life? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, So with the book stuff, it's, you know, I require my, my clients to come with me, to come to me with a working outline. So they've at least done some thinking on the subject, right? I'm not going to create a book for you. Just like, here's your topic. Go. Um, uh. <laughs> I have done that. I like, I wrote a weight loss book one time for a doctor. Um, and I didn't feel great about that. That was like me and Google <laughs> writing a book about weight loss because I have no Got experience it. with that. So okay. it's, it's much, and I meet with my clients once a week um, and throughout the process. So really when it, when it's working really well, I'm right. I'm doing the bulk of the writing. I'm spending like 10 or 20 hours writing um, for them. And then they're editing it um, or we're going back and forth on the editing. So it's really collaborative. It's really their ideas and I just see myself as a mouthpiece um, for those ideas and like you know they don't have the bandwidth to do the writing and that's what I'm taking off their plate but it's their idea I don't I don't even see it as mine which I think is helpful for ghostwriting if anyone's out there thinking about becoming a ghostwriter um, a lot of people ask me how can you write stuff that you don't get credit for you know but it never feels like mine and when it works well it feels like theirs and I want them to feel like it's theirs because um, otherwise they're going to have all, all kinds of trouble putting, you know, talking about the book and putting it out there um, as theirs. Um, that is so cool. And yeah. I, one of the things that I absolutely love about the podcast is that I can have these like meaningful conversations with people. And when I get off an interview, I walk away and I have more energy. And those people, all the people I've interviewed 
always sort of live with me in one way or another. Like I take a lesson from their interview and it kind of feels like that's what this is for you. When you talk Mm -hmm. to your clients once a week and you get to know them personally and professionally and get to sort of really sort of be in their heads. Uh, I I don't know if that's true, but tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, that's how I can do my best writing because it needs to be in their voice. And I need Mm -hmm. to hear their voice. I need to know how they talk just, you know, because my writing is really conversational. So I can get easily stuck if I don't have my head wrapped around their conversational tone, like how they talk and how they write. Um, So, yeah, I I really do work pretty hard to get into their head. Sometimes I, I compare it to like acting, like you're putting on a persona. Um, you're getting on stage as someone else. I'm getting into writing as someone else. I will hear their voice in my head as I'm writing. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny cause going back to the bandwidth issue, you know, like that's the work that I love and that's the work I want to do exclusively. And of course I also have blogging clients. <laughs> and so that pulls me away from the ghostwriting book, ghostwriting stuff. And so that's why I'm working on building my team now. And that's going to help me like, they're going to take over the blogging stuff, all that LinkedIn stuff I talked about. It's going to be a team doing that. Um, and so that will free me up to really engross myself much more in my ghostwriting projects. Um, it happens kind of naturally now. Like I just, you know, I, I, I find ways to, for the work to ebb and flow. Um, it almost feels like magic sometimes where it's just mm-hmm. like I have a couple of clients who will come in and out with things. Like sometimes they need something, sometimes they don't. Um, and they just always kind of seem to come around at the right time when, you know, I'm finishing up a project or I'm getting over the big milestone in the project. So I have more time to do some of the smaller projects. Um, so it's been nice that way. Um, oh, I can, I still hear this. I like, um, I, uh, I think it's taken a lot of sort of wellness, <laughs> like work mm-hmm. on my own wellness and my own sort of mental health and, my ability uh, or or my not my ability my learning to be more present that i've been able to reach this natural like you said ebb and flow magic kind of thing (laughs) um uh, more than i ever have in my life and it's this like trust thing like you have to trust that things will just sort of unfold as they need to Mm -hmm. and when you're always trying to control it and white knuckle through everything and all that like it does not work and that's when you're pushing harder and all the stuff and I just I just hear so much ease in your story (laughs) the sort of you know writing like I hear their voice in my head as I write Mm -hmm. and um it's kind of like acting Mm -hmm. and just everything seems to just really unfold in this lovely, lovely yeah. way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that leads me to this like muse time thing that you talk about, um, taking messy action and not overthinking. Mm, yeah. um, is Would you say this is connected? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, it's interesting because in the first year of my business, it was really different. I really was trying to control things a lot more. And I was always worried about 
workflow and, you know, cash flow and so many things and whether I was going to succeed or fail, you know, and, and at some point during that first year, someone just said to me, you have to think of your business as an experiment. You know, there's no syllabus for starting a successful mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, and, and that just clicked in my brain, like, oh, it's an experiment that freed me up to say, okay, well, I can try some things. I can throw some things at the wall and see what sticks, you know, without like, oh, if this doesn't work, then what am I going to do? You know? Right. Um, And so that's been so helpful. And I always knew, like, I don't know, I've had ingrained in me some things probably from my dad, like you've got to spend money to make money. So I've never been like, really worried. Like if, if there was a thing that I really wanted uh, for my business, I was willing to make the investment. And if the mm-hmm. investment was more than I was expecting, I might wait a little while. Um, but ultimately I'd figure out how to get, I'd say, okay, when I get this next client, then I'll get that thing, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, so some of these things sort of naturally work themselves in, and, and it really is about taking action because you know, a lot of people talk about fa- failing fast. And I think there's some wisdom to that, although I think some of it is kind of toxic too. <laughs> but, mm. you know, there's there's wisdom to take a chance. And if it doesn't work, you can always shift things. And usually some part of it's going to work and you're going to learn, oh, that part works. So let me build on that or let me expand this part. Um, last year, a couple of years ago, actually, I thought I was going to, so I've always been thinking like, one-on-one stuff is awesome. I love it. But obviously my income is totally capped, right? I, if I'm doing mm-hmm. three ghostwriting projects a year, there's only so much I can charge for those. Uh, you know, I'm, I am capped at that number. So I could see, a, you know, the ceiling on my income. And so I was like, okay, I know that I need to find a way to, to move into serving the many or what, you know, whatever it is, instead of Mm -hmm. one-to-one, one-to-many or somehow, you know, expand. I needed a way to make money where it wasn't me in front of my computer. Um, So I thought, well, I could do online courses, you know, create a course. It's out there. People can watch it. They can buy it. You know, it's, it's one and done kind of a thing. Uh, sounds great. And so I took like a boot camp course to build my course and it was for DIY authors. It was, you know, write your book in 12 weeks or whatever. Um, and man, I just could not figure out how to sell that thing. And interesting. Yeah. And so I was like, what am I going to do? Like, this was my (laughs) big, this was my big, like, I'm going to move into one to many by doing this, you know, and, but it it never felt really good to me and I I scrambled to put it together and I didn't love what I was creating um I wasn't sure if it was a method that would work for everyone like what works for me as a ghostwriter as a professional writer doesn't work necessarily for somebody who's juggling a nine-to-five job and trying to write their book um so, you know, it never felt right. And so this year I en- ended up investing in uh, one-on-one coaching for the first time. And I had a business coach for six months and she actually helped me come up with these new services. Um, but, you know, it, the point, she, you know, she's just kind of pointed out or we kind of, I kind of figured out through that process, like, I just, I don't want to work with DIY authors you know, that I want to work with people who want ghostwriting services. You know, I want people who want me to create content for them. That's what I'm good at. I'm not good at teaching others how to do what I do. 
because I don't know my process. I haven't even figured out my own process, really. You know, it's, you know, to take take the messy action, get into it because you don't know until you get into it what it's really like. Um, and then know when to like cut the line loose and let it go. It's hard, you know, there's everybody falls prey to the sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> like, yes. I spent money on that course. I spent money creating the course. I'm paying for Teachable still. I haven't cut, I haven't even taken that course down from my website yet, um, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I'm going to do soon. Um, you know, but it's, it's, you know, that's, that's part of being in business. You're going to spend money that, that gets ultimately you know wasted or you know you're gonna spend money on what seem what seems like a failure um and that's that's just the way the cookie crumbles or whatever um okay so i have a question about this yeah so you say um i haven't even taken the course down from my website it's still there (laughs) i'm gonna take it down soon um i think there's something there that i really want to get out and talk through okay and that is why not just leave the course up? Why not yeah. just have it on your website right. for if somebody wants to buy it? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think ultimately because it doesn't fit with the new direction of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't fit my values. I don't want something there that that I'm not 100% behind. Like if someone mm-hmm. asked me about that on a call, for example, I'm not going to talk very well about it. I'm not going to speak very highly of it. I'm going to be like, I don't know if you really want that. <laughs> Let me tell you all the reasons it, it's not going to work for you and it doesn't fit with your situation. I am. I have talked. I have talked people out of buying from me before, and when I do it, I do it in a way that feels really authentic. It's like, look, you're not mm. ready for this like maybe developmental editing is a good example so i edit people's manuscripts if they have their books finished um but sometimes they'll call me before they've written the book you know and uh, and so they'll be looking usually they're looking for like a coaching situation um they want someone to hold their hand while they're writing um and i don't do that i just that's not i don't know how to coach i don't feel comfortable saying i'm a coach um, again, I don't know how to describe how I do what I do yet. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I'm not in that place. So I will absolutely tell them, you know, you're not ready for me. Like, I would love to work with you when you've got your book done. Come back when it's done, you know, <laughs> but right now mm-hmm. I can't help you. Um, but to to get on the phone with somebody about the online course, you know, or I've had very well-intentioned friends, like recommending it to people, you know, things like that. And, and I'm just always cringing when that happens. <laughs> Um, the other thing about it is it's not actually finished. I didn't actually finish the whole course. So it's a partial course. <laughs> and the whole okay. idea, yeah, the whole idea about it was um, uh, sell the course before you create it. And I stand behind that method if you're doing online courses, um, because what it, what it forces you to do is think about, you know, the people who bought the course and what they need. Also, it's a huge motivator uh, if you sell it. It's a huge motivator to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do mm-hmm. it quickly because you're like, okay, by this date, they're going to start taking this course. Um, and so since I, I sold it to one person, but, you know, it, she she didn't complete the modules I had put up there. So it, there was no motivation for me to finish it. Um, so, yeah, t- to be really honest, I don't want anyone to buy it because <laughs> I would have to finish it. <laughs> Isn't it all about, like, self-examination so that mm-hmm. you can, like, put whatever it is that's really authentic to you, like after you've tapped into that, into the world. 
And that is such a big, mm-hmm. big lifelong project. Yeah. And I'm wondering for you, what is the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself in this entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, this is a great question. Yeah, I've been talking about this a lot with people lately about how starting a business is the best way to get to know yourself. It's the best self-awareness project you could (laughs) take (laughs) undertake. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's a great question. You know, one of the things in the very beginning of my business, I used to tell myself all the time is you are not the kind of person who fails. Um, Mm. When I was really worried, like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm going to have to get a job, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, Mm. like, because the first year, you know, I had half that year was my teaching salary. So I did okay that year. But the following year, I think I broke even, like I made zero money. I spent whatever came in. Um, Mm. And I'm very lucky that my husband can cover our bills with his pension. Um, But, you know, so it gave me that runway. The next year I was profitable. I've been profitable since, but, um, it, you know, it takes that time to get in there. So I guess what I've learned about myself, the biggest learning I've had is that um, I, I can, I can do this. Like I'm, I'm capable of running a business. It's Mm -hmm. not rocket science. It's, it's, it takes a lot of focus and anybody who can finish a PhD has the kind of focus Mm -hmm. it takes to run a business. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's, you know, that's all it takes. It just takes figuring out the next move and the next move. And this is another thing that I've discovered about myself. I can be really comfortable with the mess. Um, Mm. And, and that's, that was surprising to me because I think I, when I was getting my PhD and in all those years, like so much of life was about controlling the future or trying to. It was so much about like, I need to write this paper so that this happens and this happens and this happens and then I'm going to get the job and this is going to happen. And right, like all those pieces falling into place. I felt like I was setting myself up in that way. Um, And now I don't look at it that way. Like I haven't sold any of these new services yet. And it's been a pretty slow summer. I haven't had a ghostwriting book project since March. And I'm okay. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I'm doing business development. I'm building this thing. I'm pretty sure it's going to work out. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think fall comes around. I'm going to get the three clients I want by the end of the year, you know, and then I'll get three more next year, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to do it incrementally anyway, because I'm going to need to hire people to, to serve those clients. Um, and I don't, you know, I want all that to kind of fold into place. But it's, it's really, I'm very present. I'm just very much like in the moment, like, what do I need to get done this week or even today? Um, and letting everything just unfold as it, as it will, as it wants to, and as it goes, you know. And if somebody, like yesterday, my, I have a writing apprentice. Um, so I did make my first hire this year. Um, and he's do, he's been doing a lot of the smaller things and I'm training him. And the idea was that he could figure out if he wants to make writing his career or if he wants to start a business, um, kind of like an incubator <laughs> situation. Um, and he called me and he was like, I just, I need to talk to somebody. I, I've got some decisions to make and I need someone to talk to. Could, you know, could we have a mentoring conversation? And I was like, yeah, four o'clock, you know, I'm, basically, you know, I'm, dropping everything because nothing I have to do today really needs to get done. Mm. And, you know, I have that time for you. And this is what 
writing apprenticeship should be, you know? Um, so yeah. So I, I appreciate that freedom to just kind of listen to what my clients need and need and listen to what he needs and what I need and just like figure out how to make it work for everybody. Um, I'm, I'm in a really good place mentally right now. Um, because like a year ago, having like you know like where's my next dollar going from not knowing uh-huh. could have been like devastating but and it was in in a lot of cases but you you just keep working through it and you just trust in what you've you've been doing if you've been consistent if you've been doing all the things you need to do it's going to come it just takes sometimes more time than you want so good yes <laughs> and i'm just thinking about how you as you describe sort of living in the moment and making time as you need to, um, it just feels like such a calmer, such, mm-hmm. uh, you know, less pressured way of working. And, and not just that, but you then get to live fully every day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and that just, I, like, I can taste it. It, it tastes delicious. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I've been always, no, in my head, my goal has always been, I'm going to get to the point where I work 20 hours a week and I Mm. bring in the money that I'm trying to make, you know, Um, and with this new system and the processes I'm putting into place and the people, the hires I want to be making, like I can see that future and it's not that far away. That's like a year, you know? (laughs) Um, Amazing. yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's just, you know, beautiful. And uh, that's a sustainable business. You know, anyone can work 20 hours a week, anyone, but, you know, I can, Mm -hmm. I can fit other things in uh, around 20 hours a week. Um, You know, I just projects around the house, you know, I, I mean, any of that stuff, I don't have any kids, but I mean, if you had kids, like 20 hours a week is a really sustainable pace um, for a lot of people. So I think having that in mind from day one (laughs) is super helpful because you get sucked in, right? Like there's people who are like, I got up at 4 a.m. I got up at 4 a.m. every day. And they're all over social media. Like if you're, I'm working 70 hours this week, you know, (laughs) like, like a badge of honor, you know, and I'm just Uh like, man, that, what are you, what are you doing that needs to take 70? I'm pretty productive and I can't find 70 hours of work to do in a week. Like, and if I do, like, I just don't want to even sit at my desk you know like I'm like dragging myself through those 70 hours totally Um, but if you're feeling good you know you can get a lot more done in less time for one thing but Mm -hmm. you're also you just the mental space is so huge because you're thinking strategically a lot of the time it's not like oh what are my tasks for today you know and just and I've been in those modes too where it's just all client work all the time and that's when I'm just like so sad because I love mm-hmm. thinking about the business. I love setting up stri- strategy systems, you know, that kind of stuff and thinking like, if I want to do this, how can I figure it out? Like the puzzle solving is really fun. Um, and this is what you're calling muse time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like time it's just that to, space to think. Yeah. Big picture types of stuff. Like, uh, you know, I, I set out this year wanting to write a book uh, for myself and that hasn't happened. Um, so like sometimes I think muse time, I need like writing time. Um, and you know, with getting to the point where I'm like, that's another thing that'd be nice when I get to the point where I'm working the 20 hours a week, I'll have time to write the, write the book and I won't feel so much like, 
tapped out, which is really how I've been feeling and really why I can't get started on my book. I think um, mm-hmm. it's just, I'm right. Like the same reason I can't have a figure out a journaling practice. Like journaling is like expressive writing is super. I've had experiences with expressive writing, which was like therapy, you know, the tears are streaming down my face and I'm just writing my thoughts and it's beautiful and cathartic. Um, and I sometimes wish like I could do that more often, but I, man, when I think about picking up a journal or just writing anything that's not, I'm not getting paid for, it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to justify that. Uh-huh. Or I just, I feel like I have nothing left. Um, which, you know, so, so getting to that point would be really, amazing. that's like a major career goal to have expressive writing time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think it would be really healthy and, you know, and, and it's not so much that I'm, you know, sad that I'm giving all of that energy to my clients. I, I don't know how else to do it. <laughs> like I throw mm-hmm. myself into every project, even the simplest little blog post that two people are going to read, you know, I'm like putting mm-hmm. my heart into sometimes. Um, and not so much like my emotional, but just like my energy, you know, I'm putting a lot of my energy into that. Um, and I don't know how to do it otherwise. So the only way, the only alternative is just to do less of that. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Because why would you want to just do it all a little bit and superficially? Yeah. Like why, again, it goes back to that living fully, working fully, being totally mm-hmm. present. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of creatives run into it. You know, if you're a creative and you're creating your products to sell to people, you know, I think, I think it's, you've got to sort of run into that sometimes at some point you got to back off on the creativity for others to make room for creativity for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's where I'm at. Like everyone is not everyone, but often like people say to me, well, you're a ghostwriter. It'll be easy to write a book, you know? And I think in my head, yeah, I'm a ghostwriter. It should be easy to write a book. And Mm -hmm. You know, there are, I think I could see many book topics that would be easier for me to write than what I'm trying to write. I'm actually trying to write about self-awareness. Um, so there are a lot of topics I could see that would be a lot easier. Like I, I do these interviews and I could easily write a book of interview stuff. You know, that, that wouldn't be so hard. It'd be much closer to the client work that I do. But to put my, you know, whole self into a book, that's going to take a sabbatical <laughs> or, or, uh-huh. or, you know, t- regularly, you know, 20 hours a-, a week. So yeah. yeah, Totally. Okay. I love this. Um, and I want you to give us one last thing, mm-hmm. um, that you think is important to share with us. Um, you know, that feels like it completes the conversation. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think your audience is a lot of professors and mm-hmm. what I would say to them is here's here's what made me decide I'm done with academia besides all of the BS that I went through. But the like breakthrough moment for me was when I was in a yoga practice and I was like you know, I had been telling myself, I will be happy when I will be happy when I get my PhD, I will be happy when I get my tenure track job, I will be happy when I get tenure, right? All of these things, like happiness is in the future, it's coming, just wait for it. (laughs) And at some point, I just looked around and I said, or you could be happy right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, once I had that 
moment that's that was the you know the enlightenment moment where I was like okay what's making me miserable <laughs> you know like I think that was the first time I actually sat and thought like oh I'm not happy <laughs> um, you know I'm happiness is in the future that means it's not here now <laughs> and uh-huh. but that's that's not right that's <laughs> that's not okay uh, I can be happy now and can I be happy as a professor can I be happy if I have to take these one-year gigs for the rest of my life, for my career. Um, Can I be happy if I have to teach five classes a semester for the rest of time? Uh, No, no, I can't. Like, that is the answer (laughs) in Myrtle Beach, where I don't really love living, you know. Um, So, yeah, so once I had that realization, I'm not happy and I could be. (laughs) It's like Mm. the Buddhist, you know, life is suffering, but in the yoga yoga practice, in the yoga books that we read, it says the future suffering can be avoided. <laughs> you, know, there, you, can, you can make make that suffering less. <laughs> you know, um, actually, you can. And I think you know the the academic, um, um, so much of academic life is built around this. Like this is a vocation. It's supposed to be hard. There's nothing easy about it. Uh, <laughs> the hardest way is the best way. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think I just just had that like flash, like, no, no, <laughs> this mm-hmm. isn't how I want to live. Um, and yeah, and it was hard, you know, you're wrapped. It was my identity, too. Like I was really wrapped up in being a philosopher, my identity. So you have to go searching for a new identity. Um, and that's that's rough. And it uh, takes, yeah. takes time to figure out. I got really lucky, I think, because I found it really fast and early. The first thing I tried kind of stuck. Um, that, yeah, right. But, That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it can, you know, of course, it takes time. I got, I'm very lucky. Um, but, you know, you keep, you can keep trying things. You know, it's not, mm-hmm. you don't have to jump to the next monkey bar. You can, <laughs> you, can mm-hmm. you can take a break. You can walk around a little bit and see what feels right and, you know, go to someone like you and get some coaching and, and, and think through uh, what you what you really what really lights you up. You know, mm. it might not be academia and that's OK. <laughs> that's the other thing. Like I looked at people who left academia and I was like, oh, sellouts, you know, they, they just weren't strong enough to make it. And then I was like, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what, why are you trying to <laughs> what are you trying to accomplish exactly? <laughs> Right, right. Trying to prove exactly. how much suffering oh you can handle? Like, I don't know. There's no point to that. 100%. Yeah. Um, you could, and and I'm thinking about what you've said about, um, you know, you could be happy now. And this conversation, um, I feel that you are happy now because, again, as I've told you, I can feel the way you talk about your life is very present oriented. So it's like, mm-hmm. I am happy moment to moment to moment mm-hmm. to moment. And as I walk that path, like I'm hearing you talk about sort of your goals to create more space, like for expressive writing mm-hmm. and sabbatical and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But, but those moment to moment to moment of, of happier moments yeah. Uh, result in this sort of future happiness yeah. um and that's what I'm hearing in everything you're saying yes 100% I love it mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. so how do people find you if they want to if they're interested in your services mm-hmm. if they want to connect um mm-hmm. all of that 
Yes, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Uh, my profile is Emily Crookston. You can also check me out on my website, thepocketphd.com. Um, those are the best places you can email me. I love talking to academics who are thinking about starting businesses or thinking about cool. leaving academia. So please, I am open to conversations <laughs> around this stuff. So yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emily, for being here. I have been eyeing you and thinking I needed to talk to you because we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while. Uh -huh. um, so I'm glad I finally reached out. Yay. Thank you, Danielle. It's been a fun conversation. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.